He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. Hi, this is Dick Morris, stuck in the middle with you, surrounded by clowns and jokers <laughs> and Vladimir Putin. So, um, we we've got a we've got a war on our hands, but don't count the Ukrainians out. Uh, I know these folks very well. Uh, I was the political advisor to Viktor Yashchenko, who from two thousand four to two thousand eight was the president of Ukraine. And uh, originally, the Russians tried to keep him out of office by rigging the election. Does that sound familiar? And then after he took off, and then, and then when it became inevitable that he'd take office, they poisoned him. They invited him to a meeting, and they put dioxin in his soup. So if anybody serves you <laughs> red cabbage soup, be a little careful. It might be redder than you think. Don't drink it. And, yeah, that, that's Doug DePiro, our music expert here. And uh, and the uh, and he almost died uh, when I met with him before. He's this handsome, good-looking guy. Uh, after that, he looks like he's about to die of smallpox. Unbelievable. Anyway, so Ukraine was the Ukrainians were determined to be free, and when they were confronted with this rigged election, they stood out in the cold, sub-zero temperatures, centigrade sub-zero for three and a half months, tying up all traffic and everything in Kiev, literally a million people. And eventually the government had to give up and fled, and Yashchenko took power. These folks value liberty. They are not going to cut and run. They're they're not Afghans. And uh, they are fighting very, very hard. Strong resistance. The Russian invasion schedule is well behind where it should be, where they want to be. Remember this. The tank is an open field weapon. It's best in an open area where it can maneuver, it can swing its turret around, it can fire missiles and all that. But in urban streets, it's not necessarily very good. You might say it's not a street fighting man. And the Russians are not equipped for street fighting. Uh, they're used to, their training is to confront Western tanks in combat in open areas, the great steppes, the plains of Russia. And this is not relevant to that. And remember one big thing, folks. The history of great big countries trying to subdue poorer, smaller countries isn't good. The United States couldn't conquer Vietnam. The U.S. only barely was able to defeat the Sunnis in Iraq. Uh, Russia lost in Afghanistan. The history is not good because when you have people determined to be free, if they're armed, and these Ukrainians are now armed, and willing to fight and willing to risk their lives, uh, an army can't necessarily subdue them. And this is not a situation where you have a country of 300 million people trying to subdue a country of a million or two, like Chechnya. That's not the situation. You have 150 million Russians and 45 million Ukrainians. Now, the Ukrainians are not all in the army, but they all are now. Uh, Every man from the age of, I think, 16 to 50 or something, is now conscripted into the Ukrainian army and given weapons and told to go out and fight. And if the Russians succeed in putting down and capturing the major cities, that's not going to make a hell of a difference. 
In fact, it'll be the signal for the guerrilla warfare to start, which is really where the Ukrainians can shine. Uh, and I believe that Ukraine will actually win this war. Win. Uh, I think that the that the people of the Ukraine are not going to abandon it, and they're going to stick it out because they know firsthand how horrible Russian rule is. Uh, they starved three million farmers. Farmers starving to death in the 30s, killed millions more under Stalin, tried to suppress Ukraine in the post, uh, post-World post War II era. And these guys know what Russian rule means, and they're going to fight like hell. So right now, you give me a choice between being in Putin's shoes and Zelensky's. I think I'd rather be in Zelensky's. Absolutely. Uh, it's also better to play offense than than defense, and he is definitely going after these Russian troops that are flooding into his country. And bear something else in mind, guys. Uh, in one of my other hats is that I worked with Gary Kasparov, the Russian chess champion, who basically is the leader of the freedom forces in Russia the anti-Putin forces, and, um, and and I worked closely with them over a period of several years, got some of their candidates elected to the Duma, the Russian parliament, and uh, before Putin basically closed the elections down. I got to tell you the story, just to interrupt myself briefly. <laughs> uh, I was scheduled to speak at a place called the, the Other Russia Convention, which was the dissidents, the anti-Putin people, and... I was sitting in the audience with about 2,000 people, and I was waiting for my turn to speak, and the guy before me uh, was going to speak. And the KGB came in, grabbed him, picked him up by all fours, uh, one on each leg, leg and one on each arm. And the four of them carried this poor guy out uh, over the heads of the audience, passing him over, uh, and then called him off to prison. And you were the next guy, right? And I was the next speaker. <laughs> So I, uh, so I had to go. <laughs> Wouldn't want to be ya. So I got the hell out of there before uh, I got arrested. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> but, but let me tell you this. Russia is not stable. Putin is not, cannot count on the strong support of the Russian people or the Russian army necessarily if this war drags on. Remember, it was the casualties in Afghanistan inflicted by the Taliban, who we used to like, that forced Russia to fall, that forced communism out, that brought uh, the communists out of power and put Yeltsin in power. I was Yeltsin's political consultant, I guess you know that. And uh, and it's, it's not clear that Russia can survive this. Putin, I think, is in serious trouble. I think he's bitten off far more than he can chew. And the Russian army is no great shakes either. It's entirely a conscript army. And when you report for duty, which you have to do because you're drafted, you are being forced to sign a contract that says, I work for the Russian army and will for the rest of my life until they tell me to go, basically. Oh, really? And so it's a, it's a life sentence. Wow. And, uh, and, and they are not well-fed. They are mistreated. Uh, alcoholism is rife. And uh, these are not the kind of troops you want defending your country. And uh, they performed very badly in Chechnya. They performed terribly in Afghanistan. And uh, I don't think they're going to do a whole lot better in the Ukraine. Almost like slaves. Yeah, they, they are almost like slaves. Wow. And so, so that's, that's what's going on. There's an assumption that the Russians will walk all over the Ukrainians. Then They haven't in the first week of war, and they're not going to. In fact, there was a very interesting story today that Russia has and Ukraine have agreed to have peace talks. Originally, Russia said we'll do it in Belarus, which is a Russian satellite. And Zelensky wasn't born yesterday. He said, if I go into that country, you're never letting me out. So they agreed to meet on the border in no man's land. 
But the fact that the Russians invaded on Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, and now it's Sunday and they're willing to negotiate, the Russians basically thought they would conquer this country by now. And the fact that they're willing to have peace talks is very, very significant. Now, let's understand the stakes that Putin has here and how involved he is in this. I'm going to inter- I'm going to read to you not a song but a script. Please don't sing. Yeah, I won't. I promise. Thank you. This is what Vladimir Putin said to his people in a speech to the country on national TV. He said, "For our country, it is a matter of life and death, a matter of our historical future as a nation. It is not only a very real threat to our interests, but to very the very existence of our state and to its sovereignty." It is the red line which we have spoken about on numerous occasions, and they have crossed it. They sought to destroy our traditional values and force on us their false values that would erode us, our people, from within. By that he means he's attacking the LGBT community, Mm -hmm. which he's been especially vociferous against. There are rumors that he's gay and that as a child he was harassed for that and that that led to a lot of his aggressiveness now. Um, that's why he poses a lot with the shirt off. You've seen that. And, uh, <laughs> and that he's, a, uh, he's a judo champion, uh, by the way, who has just been expelled as chairman of the Judo Foundation of the World. Chop, chop. Yeah, that's right. Um, these attitudes, the attitudes they've been aggressively imposing on, their, on our countries, um, attitudes that are directly leading to degradation and degeneration, because they are contrary to human nature. This is not going to happen. This is an appeal to traditional Russia and the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, And by the way, for American gays, this is as overt a challenge to gayness that you could could possibly have. Mm. Then he addresses his own troops, who I told you are kind of not the greatest troops to have for you. Once again, I speak to Ukrainian soldiers. He's trying to speak to the other side. Do not allow neo-Nazis and bandits to use your children, your wives, and the elderly as a human shield. Take power into your own hands. It seems that it will be easier for us to come to an agreement with than for us to come to an agreement than with this gang of drug addicts and neo-Nazis. Hmm. So he's basically saying that the Ukrainian government is Nazi uh, and for many years during World War II, elements in Ukraine really cooperated with Hitler. But then they were all killed by Hitler because they were racially impure, and, uh, and, and the Ukraine fought like hell. The Ukrainian resistance, the French resistance, gets all the publicity and all the press. But the Polish and Ukrainian resistance were the backbone of the resistance against Nazi occupation, the absolute backbone. And, uh, and and Norway would also. Uh, Hitler had to keep two divisions in Norway, two divisions in Poland, four or five divisions in Ukraine, total of about half a million men. To spread himself thin. To, to subdue these countries. And uh, Hitler uh, couldn't afford that. It was one of the big reasons he lost the war, because the resistance drained his forces. So that's the same crowd that, that Putin's going against now. And I think he needs to realize that he, not Ukraine, is on the edge of destruction. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you're toting? And even the Jordan River has... Bodies floating, but you tell me over and over and over again, my friend. I you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. Well, you better believe it. And Putin is really taking a gigantic gamble. But you heard his speech text I read you. This isn't about Ukraine. And for those who say it is, you're fantasizing. Uh, it's like saying that, that when General Meade and General Lee clashed in the Civil War in a town called Gettysburg, 
They were fighting for who controlled Gettysburg. Right. They weren't. It was part of this enormous war. And Putin has raised these stakes so that, in fact, in fact, we are now in World War Three, when the Chinese invade Taiwan and Iran goes nuclear, which will happen very soon. You'll realize, we'll all realize that. It's not a nuclear war yet, although Putin put his nuclear forces on, on high alert wow. yesterday. But it's a conventional war of World War Three. It's Trump. And that's that's what we're in right now. That was the consequence of electing Mr. Biden. Oh my God! It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on seventy-seven WABC. Now. The problem that Ukraine has is not any disunity in Ukraine. Uh, they're pretty, they're incredibly united. It's not even problems with the European Union. They're very united. They understand the problems. We've, we've mocked Germany for saying they're going to send 5,000 helmets to Ukraine. But when the invasion started, they got it. They understood that, that while their energy supplies were endangered, uh, that this was a an existential fight, and that they better better step up to the plate. Um, but the problem is in the United States, we have isolationists like Tucker Carlson at Fox News who are running around saying, "Ooh, between Russia and Ukraine, I think I'd choose Russia." Yeah, nice. He actually said that. I think I'd choose Russia, and saying, "Oh, this is because NATO has provoked Putin." He said, and I'm quoting him, the only purpose of NATO after the Cold War is to irritate Putin. <laughs> wow. You know, I like the guy, but that's just wrong. I mean, and, and wrong. It, it comes from a deep heritage. Let's realize that after World War II, before World War II, the, uh, both parties were largely isolationist. But then Pearl Harbor cured that. After World War II, the Republican Party was split in half. Some were led by Bob Taft, Robert Taft, the senator from Ohio, the son of President William Howard Taft. He was the Senate Majority Leader, and he was the leader of the conservative wing of the Republican Party. And opposing him was Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was the, as a general, was the architect of the World War II coalition that defeated Hitler. Eisenhower was an internationalist. He said, "You kill, you're kidding yourself if you think you can hide." from the rest of the world. We face a mortal threat here from Russia, and we better unite and better get our act together. When was this again? What year? Well, it started in 46 and After ended in 52. Right, Eisenhower. And then, um, and then the, uh, and, and the issues were that Taft said, don't create NATO. We, won't, we shouldn't be part of it. We shouldn't be in the UN. Uh, we, we need to uh, defend ourselves but not pay any attention to what's going on in the rest of the world. He opposed the Marshall Plan that saved Europe with economic aid. And Eisenhower said, no, you're, you're living in a delus delusionary world. Uh, we have got to be prepared to fight this stuff and to win it. And then in 1952, they fought each other for the presidential nomination, Taft against Eisenhower. And Eisenhower, Ike won. He beat Taft. When he beat him, he extinguished the isolationist wing of the Republican Party. But it still exists. Uh, Pat Buchanan has often said that World War II wasn't worth it, that we didn't need to fight World War II, which six million Jews who were dead might object to. And now we have Tucker Carlson saying, ah, Ukraine isn't worth it. It isn't worth our time or our blood or our money. It's a corrupt country. It's never been a, never been a democracy doesn't know what hell he's talking about, but he's getting converts and supporters. So this is not always a united America going into this or a united Republican Party. What they do is not in your face. All the time they want to take your place to backstab us. Backstab us. It's not in your face. All the time they want to take your place to backstab us. Look, the Republican Party is the party that keeps America safe. You can't count on the Democrats. 
Uh, they spend two-thirds of their time opposing what the U.S. is trying to do. But you can count on the Republicans. But with the likes of Tucker Carlson running around spreading defeatist propaganda, do you know that the Russian state-controlled media has bought, paid, for sixty for seven episodes of the Tucker Carlson show to broadcast in Russia where they translate it into Russian for the Russian people. Oh, propaganda. Propaganda to hear how unjust Ukraine is, how bad ah. Ukraine is, and how right Putin is for invading it. Now lately, probably the Fox News brass called Tucker on the carpet the minute the invasion started. And on Thursday night he was putting down Ukraine on Friday, on Friday night, he was very supportive of it. 180-degree mm. turn. Somebody at right. Fox News jerked his chain. Yeah, you're right about that. But we have we've got to be united as a party and as conservatives on this. And uh, what we need to do is to get this, this weakling in the White House uh, to really stand up and do what he needs to do. But the question is, is Biden strong enough to do that? Is he able to do that? Will he contain his fear and his weakness and everything else? Gotta feel like hell tonight. The tears of rage I cannot buy. I'd be the last to help you understand. Are you strong enough to be my Strong enough to be my man. Uh, don't ask that of Joe Biden. Yeah, and uh, and sleeping anyway. Yeah, sleep at the switch. And we have when we look to our traditional allies and to our supporters, and to and even to Republicans who are isolationists and saying this war isn't worth it, even though we're not we have any troops in there, but they're they're saying that. And then when Biden floats the idea of imposing sanctions through the SWIFT banking system, which would be devastating to Russia. They could not, 50% of Russia's economy is oil and gas. 50% of the government revenues, 60% are oil and gas. And they couldn't sell oil or gas without the SWIFT banking system. It, it makes it almost very hard to go through pay, wiring money. It's like, think of everybody everybody who a company wires money to they have to actually bring a check to. And in this case, you can't even cash a check. It's got to go through the SWIFT banking system. But uh, but the a lot of people are basically mouthing the importance of sanctions against uh, Russia. But when it comes down to it, they're not imposing it. Now, as some of you may know, I'm in politics. And the, really? Uh, so the question is, what is the political impact of this going to be on Biden? And I think it is going to be a disaster, a disaster multiplied by a fiasco. <laughs> because everybody is seeing his weakness right there. I thought the most impressive line of Trump's speech last night before CPAC, you should see it if you have a couple of hours. Great. <laughs> it really was great. It was a great speech. Fantastic. And he said... You know, I came to realize how important the president is, uh, that that the world can't move without him and freedom can't advance. And and that really struck home with me when we look at Biden and look at what he's doing. But I got a good point here that is kind of a realization. Uh, we'll, after the break, I want to talk about 
how the ending of the mask mandate by the CDC that they're now walking back and they're probably going to eliminate is going to make Biden incredibly politically vulnerable and will compound the feeling of weakness that we're seeing as a result of, of Ukraine. We'll talk about that after the break. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Down one and I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. So let's go to Judith, my favorite caller from Hello, Brooklyn. Judith. Hey, Judith. Hey. Hi. Hi, hi guys. Hi, How are you? Miss you. You didn't oh, call last week. Yeah. I have so much to say, but let me start with this. <laughs> <laughs> you are no, you, know you were playing hooky last week. I never play hooky. Sometimes it's very hard to get through to you. You're a very popular guy, and oh, you're okay. funny too, Dick. So let's right. tell you. you. Um, you know something? I read something I want to share with you in the world, like from the abstract to the up close and personal. You know. As far as Putin's concerned, let me illustrate what a monstrous, brutal person he is. He had a plan. I'll tell you how I got this, by the way, Dick. He had a plan to murder kindergarten children in a school in the Russian sector of Ukraine and pin it on the Ukrainians, listen, also using chemical and biological weapons, uh, showing dead children, creating a false narrative, blaming the Ukrainians. And he even prepared a documentary in production. Listen to this. He had actors crying over dead bodies to be played over and over propaganda to justify his war, Putin's war, plus to tell the United Nations he was going to condemn them and say it was a genocidal attack that the Ukrainians did using illegal weapons of mass, mass murder so that he can uh, say that's why he was just a better king. But guess what? Guess what? Um, you know, his proxy terrorists that he had there missed their target, okay? <laughs> because last Thursday at 8.45 a.m. in the morning, when these little children in this school were sitting and, and playing whatever, they were taken out of that particular classroom that they bombed. There's a picture of They bombed that classroom. They yes, were taken out that. right before, oh, yeah, right before where they went down somewhere else to eat breakfast, believe it or not. These little children, kindergarten kids, and three of the teachers, they got concussions, but no dead bodies, no nothing. So, so his whole point, his whole plan just went, evaporated. And these people didn't then go in as he wanted them to go. So his yeah. little plan worked. It did not work. Well, and I understand that's that Secretary so Blinken. Horrible. I understand that Secretary Blinken went into U- United Nations and he told them exactly all of this to show Putin what a, what a, what a, can you imagine? I, you know. When I read that, that this man, yeah, that this man would would go and he would use little children to murder them. And he almost did, by the way. I'm I'm coming to believe that Putin has absolutely cracked up, that uh, he's gotten himself into a hysteria. Um, The remarks I read to you that he was giving on Russian TV are really not the kind of uh, thing you'd expect from a president. And uh, I think he may be really, really losing it, Judith. So um, thank you, kid, for calling. I appreciate it. Let's go to um, uh, – I'm, I'm sorry, uh, to uh, Andrew in Stanhope. Hi, hi, Andrew. Hey, what's up, Dick? I wanted to ask your advice, but then I thought, wait a minute. I'm asking a guy who was fired from Fox News. <laughs> no, but you're awesome. Your batting average would be almost a thousand. When, like whenever this, I meet somebody nice. at Newsmax who was also fired by Fox News, <laughs> I say, you know, we're both people. <laughs> <laughs> They're in a club. They got yeah. a little club. <laughs> Go ahead. I saw you on Newsmax and I'm um, kicking myself because it was after I started with a Fox News affiliate in uh, eastern Pennsylvania, north of Philly. And I did a Zoom interview with a political science professor about the Ukraine, and I just asked her, you know, sanctions, and she said, you know, they're not really going to be effective, and Putin made plans. But I wanted to ask you more about the oil that we should have not purchased all the oil. Like I saw you on Newsmax after when I got home, and I was just like, oh, I um, wish I had. We just bought (laughs) $700 million of oil and gas and other uh, and other resources from Russia. So they have a check for $700 million in their that. bank account to help fund this war. Unbelievable. And what we should be doing 
with the beyond these sanctions is embargo Russian oil and gas from the United States. The biggest supplier to the U.S. of foreign energy is Canada. Okay. The second biggest is Mexico. Good. Third biggest is Russia. Saudi Arabia is fourth. Wow. Uh, and and we could easily embargo that. Now, of course, that will drive gas prices up, which will uh, which will cause Biden some political grief. He could compensate for that easily by the Keystone Pipeline and a whole lot of other stuff he could do. Wouldn't want to do that. But uh, but oh, he wouldn't want to harm oh, no. the environment. Unbelievable. Thanks for your call, man. Thanks for your kind words. Let's go to Dominic in New Milford, Connecticut. Uh, your take on Tucker Carlson, I think it's unfair. I listen to him mostly every night, and he, he was stating that there should be questions asked. And everybody that asks a tough question should be involved in Well, you're cutting out, but... I'm glad you are cutting out because I didn't agree with you. But, up. but but let's uh, let me go through that. Uh, yeah, there is a time for questions, and there is a time to assess whether Ukraine is worth for foreign aid or anything like that. When 175,000 troops of your mortal enemy are paused to invade a country, is not the time to ask those questions. It's the time to understand that this is a existential threat, not to Ukraine, but to the United States. That speech I read you of Tucker, of uh, Putin, was defending Putin in his attacks on the United States. And uh, these remarks are very similar to what Charles Lindbergh, the aviator, did before World War II, talking about Hitler wasn't that bad and we shouldn't be that opposed to him and France and Britain were corrupt and wasn't worth standing up for them. Mm. That's the kind of divisive talk and stuff that we don't need. Now, I'm not saying shut Tucker Carlson up. Don't muzzle him. Don't fire him. But do understand what you're dealing with here. Now, I want to just discuss masks in this context. I just did a poll of suburban, white, college-educated women, 800 of them around the United States, because they're a group that voted against Trump, and I wanted to figure out how we could get them back. I came up with a lot of ideas I'll share with you on another show. But what struck me is how committed these Democrats and these liberals are to masks, uh, not just as a solution to uh, COVID, but as a statement of their virtue, mm. a virtue signal. Uh, see how great I am, I'm wearing a mask. See how responsible I am. It's almost like you put on a button to tell or a bumper sticker to tell people how you feel about something so that they they know not to aim your car because it has a good bumper sticker right? and holier than thou exactly and um, what you're and and they really believe that in fact as I read the poll I came to realize to them a mask is a uniform in the army of liberalism it's a it's at least an armband right and perhaps a uniform. And uh, it creates a solidarity against those idiots, those irresponsible people who are endangering lives right and left by not wearing their mask. Because a mask is a very personal thing. It's on your face. Uh, You know it's there every second you're wearing it. Um, And and it's it's a method of branding yourself. Now, that is holding the left together. These masks are the adhesive that is binding the left into a fighting force in American politics. And they can look at Trump without a mask, and they can look at people in southern cities. You walk in Dallas, nobody has a mask on. Florida. And, and they can scowl at people without wear, who are not wearing masks. Thank God we can't see the scowls because they have a mask on. But, <laughs> <That's good. laughs> Thank God. But, you know, they, they really do this as a virtue signal. Now, when CDC retreats from the mask mandate, and in a few days or weeks, I think everybody, even Hochul in New York, will get the point and repeal the mask mandate. It means that, that they have to take the armband off. They have to change out of the uniform. And when that happens, I think that they are going to look around them, see what the world looks like, 
remember what it looked like 13 months ago and understand for the first time what Donald Trump meant. And I don't mean we'll get all of their votes, but we'll get a lot of them. Because that that bond, that cohesion, that ideological commitment will not be able to be there. Um, it's, it's kind of like a masquerade. Hearts are weeping, George Benson. No matter how hard I try. Understand the reasons that we carry on this way. Lost in a masquerade. The mask masquerade. Really? Uh, But I never realized what a bond of affinity that masking is for the left. Empowerment. Empowerment, self-identification. Uh, virtue signaling, John McLaughlin, my friend, said that. that. Great. Uh, and and without that, I think a lot of his cohesion is going to Biden's cohesion is going to go. Let's go to Jonah in the Bronx. Hi, Jonah. Hi, Jonah. Uh, how you doing, uh, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Morris? Leave your whale behind. Uh, thank you. <laughs> First, I would like to say this: is that it's not right. Uh, I'm a I'm a, a Latino. I'm of a, a Latino extraction. I like to say to the minority community that Joe Biden, please, people, wake up. He is not our friend. He I don't know what what the, the community our community is thinking of. He's not our friend. First of all, second, I can't understand the, the party, the the president of the U- Ukraine side. Mm-hmm. We're Good supporting one. their members, their soldiers. It's been proven that some of their soldiers. Some of their vehicles fly the Nazi flag. Come on, stop. They're supporting neo-Nazis. It makes no sense. Stop the BS, Jonah. Go back inside the whale. Uh, This is just not true. This is Russian propaganda. This is disinformation. It is true that during World War II, there were many Ukrainians who welcomed the German army because they hated the Russians and they had starved to death and been massacred, millions, millions dead under the Russians. But very quickly, Hitler made one of the biggest mistakes of the war. Instead of embracing Ukrainian nationalism and saying, I'm here to liberate you, he said, I'm here to exterminate you. And he fed Ukrainians into those ovens side by side with Jews. We talk about six million Jews killed. Well, that's true. But there were also five million, five million Poles, Ukrainians, Latvians, Lithuanians, Estonians also fed into those very same ovens, cheek by jowl with the Jews. And um, to say that the Ukrainians are Nazi is just straight Russian propaganda. It's what Putin said in that speech that I read to you. It's absolute bull. So some people are buying into it. Yeah, apparently Jonah is, but once the whale is through with him, I'm not sure he'll. <laughs> you got to stop at the whale thing. I don't know if he'll come out. People going to get insulted. Same kind of guy. Why is whale the, the a heavier, protected the hate heavier, crime? Whatever is whale a hate crime category? <laughs> it will be someday. <laughs> okay. In the color purple. Let's go to Ralph in New Jersey. <laughs> Thank you, Dave, for taking my call. We come to this point because of the ineptitude, the. Uh, you know, weakness of Joseph Biden. This, this while Putin is flexing his military muscle, up to the point right now, as of today, according to the uh, the Rudy and Maria show, uh, they they are on a nuclear alert. This yep. man is not bluffing, people. Yep. This one, Putin, is not bluffing. Okay, and you know, in addition to being inept. And, uh, you know, weak. Joseph Biden is leading from behind. Yep. He is also hiding in the basement. Yep. Okay. Right yeah, the speaker, Sopley and Carrie Alimstick, guess what? <laughs> Pax Americana is turned into a paper tiger in the global fed. There I said it. Thank you. At Good least he's you. got a mask on. Good for you. Good for you. Uh, yeah, I wondered, do they wear masks in troop in tanks? In the tanks. Yeah. The Russians are unmasked. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna win. 
But <laughs> before you before you worry about it, just understand that you have the Ukrainian <clears throat> army and the Ukrainian partisans by your side here. Millions of them, maybe tens of millions of them, in urban warfare in big and small cities throughout Ukraine. At some point, Kiev is probably, first of all, the fact that Kiev hasn't fallen yet shows the fierceness, the ferocity, and the success of the Ukrainian opposition. With the tanks, first the Russians have to take the main avenues, but the tanks can't go down the narrow side streets. And from there, the saboteurs and and, and, and guerrilla warfare. No, the words, they'll know what directions are going because yeah, they can't go down. So they'll know how to get them. Yeah, got it. And uh, you, you really, I believe that this is, I believe that what this is going to play out to is I think it is very possible that Ukraine wins this war. Wow. Russia is incapable of subduing Ukraine. They come to a face-saving deal with, uh, with, with Zelensky where basically Zelensky doesn't give up anything. And uh, I think that it's very possible that this could lead to the overthrow of Putin. Wow, that's so positive. The uh, because they're unstable. They're it's a weak country. It's a weak regime. You don't go around arresting people right and left if you're secure in your power. Right. So um, I, I think we need to take that into account. Um, when we come back, let's talk more about Ukraine, and let's talk about what this means for the politics of this election, because I think it means everything. It's such a graphic illustration of weakness. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. Biden is giving the American people such a graphic illustration of his weakness. Now, let's remember that when Biden first became was running for president, not the first time, the second time, but the third time when he supposedly won, the everybody said, "Hey, he's demented, he's senile, uh, and and all that. He's just not up to the job." They said he's a flip flopper that he used to be um, used to be conservative, and now he's mask- Now he's saying that he's a liberal, and so on. We all knew that about Biden. But now weakness is the most important negative he's getting. And weakness is a very dangerous thing to say about a president when he runs for re-election. When I went to work for Bill Clinton when he was running for re-election, uh, when I polled on him, I told him a third of the people think you're immoral and a third of the people think you're weak. Now, the immoral, I don't think we can solve. No. I actually said that to him. Uh, but the weak, we sure as hell can. And uh, as a result, in part of that polling, he stood up to the Republicans when they tried to pass their agenda for America. He uh, signed welfare reforms, standing up to the Democrats who opposed it. And he uh, bombed Bosnia and threw back the Serbs and stopped them from wiping out the Bosnian population. And after that, nobody said he was weak. He solved it. It was gone. So weakness is a transactional negative. It's a negative that takes place based on what you do, not just based on who you are. And Biden is transactionally weak, and the country is seeing that every night, every day, graphically, right before their eyes. And as the stakes in this war rise for America by Putin's rhetoric, Biden's passivity becomes more and more evident, and the impact of it becomes more and more serious. I want to go to Jonathan Hillsborough. Hey, Jonathan. Good afternoon, Mr. Morris. Hi. President Zelensky is in the process of derailing Putin's plan. Yeah, he is. I think it's going to happen. However, for Biden, the Ukraine crisis is the deflection, diversion from $100 oil at home, soaring food prices at home, double-digit inflation yeah. at home, I, I and know. most importantly, sinking poll numbers for Biden. Yeah, I agree with you, but uh, but this diversion is becoming a cause of it getting worse, and uh, I think that I think that, I think Biden will look back on the days 
of 35% approval and called them the good old days when I was strong uh, because he's going to meet the 20s and the teens. And uh, the event, the handwriting is absolutely on the wall. Let's go to James in Valley Spring. Hi, James. Uh, Hi, Dick Morris. Uh, I just wanted to mention that there were thousands and thousands of Russian soldiers surrendering to Germany while they were fighting because they wanted to fight their own country. Yeah, that's true. And not only that, after the war, when uh, Truman, I think, had a deal to repatriate them, they yep. knew they were all going to be executed. Yep. They they were in a church. They set the church on fire. They would rather die than go back to Russia. Yeah, it is true. And by the way, Stalin had a policy of shooting every prisoner of war who got returned by the Germans because he said yeah. if you were captured, uh, that was evidence of your disloyalty. Oh, and if you were captured, you were a traitor. And uh, we compare that with the U.S. where we put them in the Senate if they're POWs. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we're right, they're wrong, but that that's a difference, slight difference in the culture. Um, you know, uh, I was in a restaurant the other night, um, uh, Armani's on 56th Street, great, great place. place. Great place. And uh, I sat next to a guy named Pavlov at the next table. Um, with Pavlo, his girl. Pavlo. Pablo. No, it's Russian. Pablo. No, no V at the end. Okay, Pablo. And um, he's Ukrainian. And uh, he's busy trying to raise, raise money for the Ukraine uh, to buy arms. And, and he's heavily, he's a young guy. He's 25, 23. 23. Unbelievable. And uh, it reminded me how, how many Ukrainians there are in the United States. Uh, they were all over New York marching against the invasion. Um, do not take on a population like the Ukrainians lightly. These guys know about the stakes involved, and they're absolutely invested in the fight for freedom. Uh, thank you, James. I really appreciate the call. By the way, to underscore your point about the Russian soldiers, um, after in 1942, Stalin saw that the Russian soldiers were surrendering to the Germans, so he set up a division of the KGB, a special name to it, who would be stationed behind Russian lines, behind the front lines of the troops. And they were instructed to shoot and kill any Russian soldier that retreated or turned around to run away. And uh, and he said it was to stop cowardice, but in fact it was really probably to stop defections that were going on. Wow. Where people would just switch sides. Let's go to Roberta in Queens. Hi, Roberta. Hi, Dick. Do you remember when uh, Putin went into Crimea? He thought that going into the Ukraine would be a slam dunk like yeah. Crimea. Right. Well, the difference is that when Stalin took over Ukraine, he realized that he needed to import several million Russians to each of these satellite countries so that he would have a loyal constituency there uh, and, and justification for intervening. It's very much like what uh, the Mexican leftists are trying to do in the United States, where they believe that they can flip the United States and make it a, an anti-capitalist socialist country by encouraging Mexican migration to the U.S. And uh, that electoral construct is really, is really very much on, his, on their minds in the left. And that's really what, Putin, what Stalin did. So he's got these Russian-speaking enclaves in Ukraine and Moldova, in Lithuania. About half the population of Lithuania is Russian. Now, 18% of the Ukrainian population is Russian. So it's not the majority, but it is a majority in certain provinces and areas. And those were the things, the places that Putin occupied in 2014. And that was a walk because he was basically just conquering Russian areas. One of the political issues in Ukraine was, do we teach Russian in schools or do they just teach Ukrainian? And that was a big political issue. And uh, my guy, Yashenko, said, no, teach Russian too. We have to make sure people are educated in whatever language. And that was a big part of his popularity. And he got a significant number of Russian votes with that. But um, that's the state of play now in the Ukraine. And the uh, Crimea was very different because 
It was a walkover from Russia because it was basically a part of Russia, really. Um, you know, uh, earlier before the break, um, the station here was nice to play an ad with me talking about the Patriot Gold Group, the importance of that and all, everything. And I'd like to do an addendum to the ad, but it's not a paid ad. It's an observation. Since the invasion of Ukraine, gold has gone up from about 1840 an ounce to over 1900 an ounce. And I think it's going to go up and up and up. If you believe Biden's weak, you got to believe the dollar is going to become weaker. And when you do that, gold is really the place to go to shelter your investments. And uh, I just think that's that's worth passing on to you. And that's not a paid ad. This is a personal opinion. Let's go to Michael in Rockaway Beach. Yeah, I have uh, first a comment, and then I have a question for you, Dick. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I was amazed to see the amount of natural resources that the Ukraine has, uh, not only just in things like uranium ore and manganese and titanium and iron and shale and oil, but also arable land. They have the largest amount of arable land in Europe. They have 25% of black soil in the world. Right. So the comment that one of my friends, Ukrainian friends, made was that Russia is a country, is a country by itself, but it's an empire with the Ukraine. Yeah, and that's, that's one it. of the reasons why we, we kind Brilliant. of prevent the Russians from seizing that country. Brilliant point, Michael. And they are particularly rich in rare earth minerals, uh, which are vital to cell phones, computers, and defense systems. And uh, Russia used to have a, a China has basically a monopoly on that. And Ukraine could really work at breaking that monopoly. Uh, very, very good point. I'm glad you called up and made it. So um, I believe that Putin has embarked on a gamble that will cost Russia dearly, not just in lives, but maybe in regime change. And this is ultimately going to, I think, redound effectively to the detriment of Putin and to the enhancement of Ukraine uh, and of freedom-loving people everywhere. Thanks for watching, folks. Thank you, Dick. Thanks for watching radio. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.